This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by Don't Cosplay with My Heart, a novel by Cecil Castellucci. In this introspective drama, a young woman seeks refuge from her dysfunctional life by cosplaying as her favorite comic book character as hero and occasional villain Gargantua. Eden Kipferman, Kipferman feels confident enough to handle anything, including her father's legal troubles. <laughs> <laughs> but as she immerses herself in costuming and convention, she has to put up with t- toxic fandom <laughs> and accusations of being a fake geek girl. Eden's boyfriend turns out to be a jerk, but her new friend Kirk seems to really get her, and she'll need all the help she can get as her father seems poised to go to jail. Castellucci, stone in the sky, infuses this story with a deep and abiding love of comics culture while simultaneously addressing real sexism within the community. Interspersed passages detail the history of Gargantua's series, Team Tomorrow. Castellucci takes some minor liberties given her name with an African-American hero years before Marvel's Black Panther showed up, for example, and the underlying themes of confidence, self-reliance, and feminism come through with a strength worthy of Gargantua herself, ages 12 and up. Head on over to mygodineverwantoreadthat.com today and remind yourself to never read that. Now on with the show. (laughs) Witchy Witcher? Is that what that says? Witchy Witcher. No, Witchy Winter. Yes. Hello everybody, it's Grant and Jason. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Good Shit Brothership. <laughs> the Good Shit Brothership. Brother. We hand out spaghetti left and right. It's been a long uh, couple weeks. Don't you feel like it's been a long couple weeks? I feel like yes. I said this last time, but it well, feels like we haven't recorded in ages. I spent I spent Monday and Tuesday, because it's, when, or, yeah, it's Wednesday evening when it? we're recording this. Yeah, yeah. that's correct. Um, I spent Monday and Tuesday studying for and then writing an exam, so that's kind of like uh, tedious and a little bit stressful and a little bit boring. And then I finished, and today I kind of unwound and I didn't do a ton of stuff. But yeah, I know what you mean. It feels like it feels like it's been a long little while. It has been, but in the in that time, we have not been idle. I'm Jason, and this is the other I'm brother. I'm kind of amazed that we're actually going to get this up on time, to be honest with you. I didn't think it was going to happen. This is the other brother. Why? This isn't the part of the show where we do that. It's <laughs> yes, it is. No, it's <laughs> completely not. This is just the intro where we talk. What have you been uh, listening to lately? Um, Not a lot of, or not hardly any new stuff. I've been listening to John Mark McMillan's album like every day I do work on it's my Mercury computer, and Lightning, which is almost every day. I've been listening to a ton of Mass Seduction by St. Vincent. Really? Like I listen to that almost every day. Um, interspiced bits of Lord. I listened to some Sylvan Esso today. I listened to some Rage Against the Machine today. Bunch of random stuff like that. Uh, and a lot of The National. And I've been listening to quite a bit of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, it would appear, looking at my recently played on Spotify. Dig Lazarus Dig is a super raunchy, rowdy rock and roll uh, record. How's that for alliteration? Raunchy, rowdy rock and roll record. It was fine. That's pretty good if you're anybody but you. Um... And I, I was really enjoying listening to that the other day. Push the Skyway is, of course, fantastic. Uh, and there's some live tracks on the Deluxe Edition, which is on Spotify, which is good. Mercury and Lightning as well. And uh, today I dipped my toe into something that I think that we should record on our next episode that I'm quite excited about, uh, just to hear our thoughts on it. But before we go any further... Time to do that thing we do. So I feel like traditionally we record at like 8 p.m., give or take, but then these last few episodes we always record late, and invariably we're going off the rails sooner or later. Like it's 10:50 already, guys, and we're just getting rolling. That might not sound late, but when you're as uh, weak and demotivated as I am, it's pretty late. 
Maybe I'll give a little spiel on the French lieutenant's women once I'm done that too, and I can kind of have a bit of a rant. Welcome aboard the Good Ship Brothership, the only podcast that covers film, music, gaming, literature, and pizzas AIDS. in mayonnaise. It's the this, only arts podcast. You also didn't say what, arts podcast. Is, is We're the only arts podcast that covers that I'm, covers film, I'm music, J- gaming, literature, and pizzas in mayonnaise. It, we I'm, cover pizzas and mayonnaise. I'm Jason. This is his brother Grant. What are we talking about today, Grant? Well, today we are ta- <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> the video game Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons and, and the, the film Akira by Akira Kurosawa. Kurosawa. I'm not going to do that the whole Which time. I would but just I just say do that once for authenticity. That's probably gotten obnoxious Safe. already. Yeah. To to be honest, we also ate banana chips throughout a whole episode a little while ago, so. Yeah, that was a long time ago, and guess why we didn't repeat that? Because I listened to about oh. five seconds of that episode <laughs> and decided that that was... It was so I'm, bad it wasn't even a meme. I'm definitely willing to <laughs> to eat stuff like on these episodes. Banana chips. I, I truly been... don't know what we were thinking when we decided that that was a good idea. I still think it's funny. That's a, the crunchiest food I can think of right now. <laughs> Yeah. It sounds I, like you're eating wood. Too, even potato chips have of, a bit more give just because they're not as thick. Well, they're just not quite as like... Yeah. It's just... It, they snap. They don't even crunch. A potato chip kind of is ground into, you know, paste. A banana chip, you have to chop it up a lot first. So, we're reviewing a film and a video game. Uh, we will flip the puppet in order to determine which... Is first. No, I don't know about you. I would say face up is definitely a cure. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Obviously. Okay. What else would it be? There's a weird consensus with the puppet flipping kind of thing. Okay, that, it's, brother, it's face down. Excellent. Okay. You started last time, so let me start. Sure, go for it. <clears throat> um. Oh, let me read off the oh, Wikipedia okay. entry then. I can read it, too. No, it's fine, because you're me, about to review no, it. It's, it's fine. So I, okay. I intro your okay, review. so let me do the next one. <laughs> sure. Whoa. Really it was released on Android and iOS. And Windows Phone. Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons is an adventure game developed by Starbreeze Studios and published by 505 Games for Xbox 360, Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, iOS, Android, and Windows Phone. As well as Xbox 360. Brothers is presented from a third-person view overlooking the two brothers. The brothers are moved individually by two thumbsticks on the controller. The controller triggers also cause the respective brother to interact with the game world, such as talking to a non-player character. Or grabbing onto a ledger object. The older brother is the stronger of the two and can pull. This is. Like, this is just boring stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah which we were probably going to say anyway. I was looking for something a bit more flavorful. The story begins with a boy named Nai paying his respects at the tombstone of his dead mother who drowned at sea while he remained unable to save her. His elder brother, Naya. Uh, calls him to help their ill father reach the village's doctor, who in turn tells them the only way to save him is by collecting the waters from the Tree of Life. The brothers embark on their journey through the village, hills, and mountains while facing challenges. Like blah, 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 blah. Like spoilers. Yeah. Okay, so basically, right off the bat, we say this every time because we really only review games like this on the show, but even if you're the kind of person who is typically put off by playing video games like you're not your brother plays call of duty or whatever or Fortnite maybe now um and that's just really not your speed i would say don't leave us just yet even though you're probably already gone because this is really a great entry point for people who want to see more of what games have to offer or more than the media would lead you to believe games are capable of um and i think Sometimes when people think of games as art, they think of, and not that there's anything wrong with this, they just think of basically a normal game but with a good story. And, well, a lot of games 
Um, a lot of the best games are born out of that mentality. I think a game like Brothers really uses, like it, it couldn't be done as anything else. It really uses the game's medium to tell an interesting story. Um, and I really enjoyed it along the way. So, yeah, basically, as uh, the Wikipedia article summarized, one half of a controller controls one brother, the other half of the controller controls the other brother. So since Grant and I are brothers, and the game's brothers, we played it together by sitting side by side and each holding half the controller, which is really not a bad way to do it. No, it didn't really bother me at any point no. in the, in, in the playtime. Um, so I guess I'll just start off visually. The game, the game has sold 800,000 copies yeah. as of January 2015. Um, That's a lot. It won the. I'm sorry to derail. Yeah, run the award for best Xbox game, uh, and it's not even an exclusive. That's at VGX. That's some like independent show though. Um, won best game innovation award at 2014's British Academy Games Awards with BAFTA. That's just interesting. Uh-huh. Just interesting. Critical reception was incredibly positive. As was the I, fan reception. From what really. I can see here. Um. I guess I'll just start pragmatically and break it down and get more into the subjective stuff uh, the further on we go. Visually, the game is a bit of a mixed bag now. I mean, it's a few years old, and we played it on dated hardware. We played it on PS3. It's available on newer consoles or on PC, so I guess that would be probably less of an issue if you played it on something like a PS4 or whatever. Um, I felt like the art design held up really well. I really liked the color palette. Um... The camera is, like, sort of fixed angle, meaning you can rotate it a little bit, but more or less they do the work for you. And they actually had a few interesting uh, kind of frames and stuff like that. It wasn't cinematography like what you'd expect in a film, but I still found it quite interesting from time to time. I was actually just reading right here. Um, both IGN and PC Gamer stated Brothers was one of the best games of 2013. IGN states that with its... the. IGN states this with, quote, It's no secret we love Journey. It was our game of the year for 2012. Which and we reviewed another all, time. Yep, which is unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. And we quite love Fable 2, so combine the two in one cinematic, story-driven experience, one written and directed by a decorated Swedish filmmaker. Huh. So I just wanted to drop that in there as you were talking about the cinematography of it made by a filmmaker, yeah. which is quite interesting. That is actually. interesting. Just taking into context the length of the game, which is around three hours, yeah. and the presentation and pacing of it. Um, so yeah, I felt that the visuals maybe didn't hold up quite so well. You have a lot of jagged lines or muddy textures. Like It just doesn't, it doesn't look like a new game. But in terms of the things that, in my opinion, matter more so, especially for a lower-budget game like this, which is the framing, the art style, the animation. It was very good, I thought. Um, The actual gameplay itself is a really nice mix of just walking around, enjoying the environments, taking it in, and then some mild platforming and puzzle solving. Um, And if you're one of those people like me who really doesn't usually enjoy puzzle solving games, because normally I really steer clear of them... um, I would say that this is totally, like, just go for it. In a similar vein to something like Journey or The Unfinished Swan that we've talked about. I think we talked about The Unfinished Swan. Maybe not. If uh, we, I can't remember. Maybe we didn't. It's been, it's been a while. Anyway, the puzzles are quite easy. Like, we never got stuck for more than a couple minutes, and normally that was, like, out of our own stupidity when yeah, we did. Yeah, a couple of them were slightly um, obtuse, maybe. Yeah. One thing I found really refreshing is... There's actually no dialogue in the game per se, or at least none that you can understand. The characters speak to each other, but it's in... I guess it's in a fictitious language. Maybe you can see if you find it there. I don't know if it's it's some European language. It sounds made up to me, at any rate. Um, And so, to understand the story... All all of the in-game dialogue is spoken in a fictional language based on Lebanese Arabic. Thus, the story is conveyed through actions, gestures, and expressions. Yeah, and that's exactly right. So to understand it, you really have to understand the expressions and just follow the general narrative. And I think that was refreshing just because they're forced into show-don't-tell storytelling. I think games' biggest pitfall, or at least bad games' biggest pitfalls, is a lot of this expository dialogue. And like movies suffer from that sort of thing, too. 
And that, nothing derails a story like when you hear a conversation that's like, ah, but you're the only sister I have left and mother is ill, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And by just removing the element of dialogue altogether, I think they were forced to think more intentionally and make way smarter choices about the way the story is delivered. Um, Over the course of the game, like we said, it takes about three hours. Um, Without getting into spoiler territory, I really like how it starts out as this kind of almost whimsical. Like, I mean, your father's dying at the beginning, so it's not totally cheery. But it starts off, you know, as farmer fields and evading some dog or whatever. But it gradually but steadily descends into something not, like, dark or Lovecraftian, as podcasters love to throw around, but something uh, less familiar and a little bit more serious, I guess. Um, I think in interesting contrast to Akiru, and I was hoping we would talk about Akiru first because I'm tipping my hand a bit, I think Brothers is way tighter in terms of a narrative than Akiru is. Akiru could have been cut down a lot, and we'll talk about that more later on. But I thought that Brothers had this awesome pacing where it struck a balance between... um, I felt like I could really explore the different environments that you travel through, and I didn't feel like they were like, okay, now you're going to go to the Arctic. Okay, now you're at a desert. Okay, now you're at a volcano, like every five minutes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I never felt like, okay, let's go. I've seen enough. I think that... uh, if it had been any shorter, it would have felt cheapened somehow. Like, they ra- like, oh, what, you didn't have budget to make a real game? And if it were any longer, it would have been like, what are you guys doing? This is a pretty simple narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so good on them there. At the end of the day, um, and as often happens with art, you can't really enjoy it ideally. Our uh, blessed mother, who I love very much, came oh home right near the end and was like, wah, 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 as the ending scene's going on. Which, Telling um, us about her friend's, how her friend's bathroom got water in it and how she needs a new dryer and the old one. Uh, meanwhile, the music's this emotional swell and we're sitting there. and it's. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> um, all that's to say that the story impacted me in a way more serious way emotionally than I thought. I think I underestimated it as a quote-unquote serious story and I thought it was more of a fun, cartoony, or whimsical, whatever, story. Um, And I think it really reminded me, again, that simple stories can have a lot of impact, and not everything has to be on a grand scale. Um, Again, the story starts out with these two brothers just trying to find medicine for their father. It's not this, like, global scale thing. And I think it's really fun to have this... uh, microscopic story kind of thing insignificant on the face of the earth and I think they did a really good job of sinking me into the role of one of the characters um, and making me more invested in the story than I expected I would be Uh, so in closing I guess I would say the visuals were a little bit jarring sometimes sometimes we found the movement was a little obtuse just because when you only have one stick the characters can be a bit hard to control Like there's just no getting around that really but aside from that, I think the length, I think it was the perfect length. I think that I really like the story. I really like the art style. The rest, like the writing, I guess, or lack thereof was really nice um, and really refreshing. And I guess if you're looking to get into games more to explore them as an art medium, this would be fantastic. It's not heavy handed or uppity or whatever that there's no barrier to entry it's just enjoyable um and also if you're someone who plays a lot of games but you're like us and you get kind of tired of these 20 plus hour games even a game like horizon great game but like i don't have 40 hours for a game hardly ever like that's a many month long endeavor yeah in that case i think something like that this is really a uh, refreshing break and something that could take the place of a film if you want something a little more interactive yeah, I'd be like in the eights out of ten kind of thing. I really like it. Excellent. Excellent. Not not a favorite game of all time, mind you, but overwhelmingly positive for sure. Yeah. Well, my uh, my review echoes most of what you just said. Uh, the game 
starts off in a very whimsical, as a kind of whimsical romp through a Hobbiton type setting. Mm-hmm. You know, straw roofs and farmer's dogs and climbing around on hay bales and that sort of thing. And and then, you know, things get, and I won't go any farther than this, but things become a little bit more like exotic when you meet this little mountain troll and he's mm. got kind of like mushrooms growing off of him and he's he's large things get a little exotic when you meet this troll who's got mushrooms there is there aren't many things that are more exotic than a <laughs> troll who's growing mushrooms on his own back that's be honest that's fair uh and and that was kind of the tack that i expected the film the film the game to uh kind of hold to Kind of strange and outlandish and interesting fantasy, but whimsical. And I completely failed to anticipate where it actually ended up taking us. And I think that's a humongous credit to it. That nothing it did, with the exception of maybe the final few scenes and sequences, felt expected. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was not a conventional, did not feel like a conventional game um, experience or the rhythms of a game. No. You know, area, boss fight, area, boss fight. It felt way more switching, like a film for that. Switching from very uh, distinct, switching switching between very distinct environments like the ice world, the fire world, forest world, desert, you know, that sort of thing. Thank you. He just poured me tea, by the way. Even though it did that, even though there were, you mm-hmm. know, a glacial area where the water looks crystalline well, and clear and cold. Too, I like those. And there are, you know, forests w- with uh, crazy stilted shadows everywhere. But it feel it felt very much like it felt literary in some senses, due to the the smooth flowing of mm. the environments. Um, it, it just reminded me so much of The Hobbit, like that. Yeah, that's actually it's an interesting parallel with The Hobbit because it's The Hobbit is a book that never falls into being like super dark and heavy, but it also becomes maybe more. Like, there are more sinister elements than you would initially expect. It's just very thrilling. Yeah, for sure. But in a classical kind of way that doesn't overextend. It's not trying very hard to surprise you. Mm -hmm. It just is what it is, and everything fits together and tonally rings true. Uh, You were saying a second ago that as you journey through the game, through these various environments, there are these little benches that the brothers can sit on and overlook these vistas, which... While they give you clues for what you will be finding ahead, are also very beautiful and and very artistically sound. The game itself is um, artistically sound for the most part. Uh, the it, parts of it haven't aged as well. This is what you're saying. They got the yeah. Play-Doh hair, which you know looks strange and uh, jaggy shadows, not good. And the shadows are very very pixelated and don't look good, with the exception of. One scene, which I mentioned, when you're in the forest and you're fending off wolves mm-hmm. with a with a with a torch, and the swinging, uh, lurching uh, shadows that are cast by the characters and the trees, I was very impressed by, and I thought it looked very good. And uh, also, when you're in the glacial kind of Arctic zone. And you're going through this beautiful, very, very almost photorealistic looking water. Mm. Having seen glacial water in person in Vancouver. Really had that kind of crystalline depth and unbelievable clarity to it. It wasn't in Vancouver, by the way. Sorry, it was in BC. Yeah. Uh, both, both of those were instances where I was actually um, blown away by the art. Not even taking into consideration how old the game was or anything, because I didn't know how old the game was. Like what you said, the the game slowly does unfold to stranger and grander settings, uh, which we talked about a little bit, just to double back. I did find that very affecting, and I found it 
incredibly thrilling in one uh, sequence going through some rocky mountains. Just fant- just fantasy gold. Yeah. In in the way that everything around you, you're immersed, you're pulled into it. Everything feels mythic and incredible, but very real and just classically adventurous. And I would like to throw in, um, this is an awesome game because playing it and not knowing what's going to happen is very thrilling. But at the same time, I feel like, I say I have my buddy Derek over for an afternoon and we have a few hours, I'll be like, here, check this out and play through it again. And to relive it, I think, will be a blast too. So I think it's a game that I'll probably introduce a bunch of people to over the next few years. And our dad was sitting watching us uh, play it, and mm-hmm. for, and in a couple instances, like the the mountain the mountain section or whatever, he was making comments from his chair and seemed to be kind of drawn into it. It's just fun like to watch. We yeah, it's a great game to watch. And I would say if you don't own a game system or you're just not PC. interested in it in that sort of thing i'd say watching a walkthrough would, would be, be would be a fairly suitable yeah. alternative there'd be moments you where can play puzzles, it on your pc puzzles though. would be kind of boring but uh but yeah so, uh, overall i would completely recommend it i did find the ending to be a little predictable and i was a little underwhelmed just by how things were tied up narratively yeah um, that's fair but there were still moments of of emotional effectiveness in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the game deals with ideas of family and loss and uh, all those sorts of things. There, I really liked just um, symbolically. There's a section where the brothers are tied together with a rope. Yeah. And I just thought that that was a really nice image. Like if one of the brothers fell off while you're climbing, the other person could like catch him and kind of keep him steady. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was pretty cool. And I just thought that that was a great image. I don't know if that's how that was meant to come across, but the game is full of things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found it to be very rich and very, very rewarding and incredibly enjoyable experience. And I think I paid like $3 for it when I got it a yeah, couple years abs- ago. <laughs> I would say, I, and I would extend it to... Anybody who plays games should play this game. Yeah. It is so short, you will have a blast, regardless of if you split the controller with somebody else and sit side by side with a sibling or a friend, or if you're sitting there uh, by yourself controlling the two brothers. It will just be a really enjoyable time. Two ideas. One, if you play games all the time, I would say actually that this would be a really good game to play with someone who doesn't normally play games and share the controller. Because then you can like bail them out on puzzles and stuff. Or if you're if you got this special friend you're trying to woo, be like here, but you're gonna have to snuggle up because we gotta That's share this true. controller. That's true. That's a viable yeah alternative. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to a very exciting part of the show. Oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> We're adding a new segment. Do you have show- it prepared enough for both of us? <laughs> Prepared enough for both of us? Like, what do you mean? Uh, is this the okay? I'll just see what you'll. Yeah. What do you mean? Is this? Are we recommending Netflix things? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't have it, any recommendations. It, well, I mean, uh, it, yeah. Okay. Um. So it, we are we are inserting a new segment between our reviews, which will be I don't know. We'll intro it by like. Let's see what this does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. And now it's time for. And then we'll say the name of this segment, the segment that will be here. Um, what is we, it? Jason, can you just let me present for once in your life and not, you know... I do this every day. And not moon me from the sidelines? I would love to. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> not love to moon you. <laughs> love to let you carry on to the segment without mooning you from the sidelines. Everybody listening heard something else. <laughs> Anyway, we recently set up an email address for this show, unfortunately. Thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com. Yes, goodshipbrothership at gmail.com. And it is it will be hopefully a hub of discussion and input and output and, you know, uh, 
throughput. Glorious things. But in order to try and incentivize people to use it and acknowledge it and listen to us, we said, hey, email into the show. The first person who emails in will have a new segment on the show named after them. And of course... The person who emailed into the show first, perennial listener, and and will now have this segment permanently tattooed with his name, was my excellent friend and fellow bandmate. Not fellow bandmate, he's just a bandmate. You can't be a fellow bandmate, that's redundant, isn't it? I don't know. And bandmate, Jonathan Gabber. So I haven't really decided what we're going to name this segment. Should we call it like... Gabber Jabber? <laughs> Sure, yeah. I never thought of that before. I never thought of that before right good. now. <laughs> or could it be Gabber's Film Jabber? Or should it just be the Gabber Jabber? Jonathan Gabber Ground Beef Grabber. <laughs> Thank you for remembering that. Yeah, I called Jonathan Gabber the Ground Beef Grabber because we were making tacos and the guy's just like practically spooning with a ladle the ground beef out of the frying pan before we've even had tacos. I'm pretty sure that's what was happening. Okay, so and I was frustrated. Gabber's by, film jabber. He's a big guy, ladies and gentlemen. He eats a lot. Gabber's a, film jabber also is a gentle giant. I think we should just call it the Gabber Jabber because this okay. is what it'll be. Hey, <laughs> Jason, stop! You can't do that. Okay, try again. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm, you're you're, gonna, you're completely start, trying start to hijack my mojo for this entire show. Okay, sorry, I'm just go ahead. It's a br- hit, give and take. Hit the drum beat. Okay, okay. Oh, hit the drum beat. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to stop you. Go ahead. Drum beat. And it's time for the Gabber Jabber, your weekly dosage of Canadian Netflix recommendations uh, on the Good Ship Brothership or something like that. So this will be the part of the show as I just kind of snuck in there. Uh, where we recommend a film from Canadian Netflix that we've seen uh, recently and we think that you should watch. So, you know, a recommendation that we might pick would be a ghost story, but probably not. Watch most of it. Don't watch the end. The film I'm going to recommend off of uh, Netflix, although there is actually an Akira Kurosawa film on there now, um, Although the title's not coming to me, actually. I'm going to recommend Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood oh, on very Netflix. Good. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson has just won, uh, I think, maybe two Oscars for his film Phantom Thread, starring Daniel Day-Lewis. And this is a previous film that he made starring Daniel Day-Lewis, which I'm pretty sure won Best Picture. and A whole slew of awards is one of Daniel Day-Lewis' most... Highly acclaimed roles. It's one of Paul Thomas Anderson's most highly acclaimed films, etc., etc. And additionally, we will be talking about it, I don't know when for sure, on a fairly uh, soon-to-be-released episode of The Good Ship Brothership. Yes. So watch it now, collect your thoughts, and then you can email us at thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com to disagree with us after we it's review a, it. It's just a fantastic... Uh, uh, film set in the kind of frontier of the Wild West uh, following the uh, corporate pursuits of an oil man. So yeah, that is, this has been The Gabber Jabber. Alright. What's our next review? We're headed on to the film that is Ikiru by Ikira Kurosawa. A little preface before we dive into this, Akira Kurosawa is one of the most highly acclaimed filmmakers of all time. He's he's credited with revolutionizing um, just cinematography, especially. I think his usage of images and his camera work have been highly regarded and considered by by many filmmakers to be kind of the pinnacle of the art of of uh, cinematography. And he was also the director of Ran, which we talked about some months ago. So if you remember our discussion of that, same director, except I believe this film is... Is it this newer or older? No, it's much older. Uh, Ron was in the 80s, and this is 1952. So many decades. It's older than I think it is. Many decades later. 50s. Um so my my experience with Akira Kurosawa is kind of um, double-edged. I find some of his films difficult to connect with um, from an entertainment perspective, 
but I have this strange attraction to them for being moving paintings. And oftentimes the images in his films have lingered with me. Specific sequences or scenes or even frames linger with me far longer than almost any other filmmakers that I can think of. Uh, And I've had this really interesting relationship with his work. Jason has been much, much more critical of his stuff. I'm not not, like, I'm just saying you have not yet become a fan of Akira Kurosawa. I absolutely up to this point have loved his cinematography like big time, but I found the story so difficult to connect with and the acting frequently so overwrought, even though I understand that's how they do things that, I just haven't been able to connect to them recently, yes. even though I love the shooting. Yeah, and I, I found some of this. Anyway, so that, that's just a little preface. I purchased Akiru, the the previous uh, Kira Kurosawa films that you and I have watched together have been samurai flicks, period, yeah. like samurai flicks. Uh, we watched uh, Yojimbo and Ron, and, uh, and so I decided to purchase the Blu-ray of Akiru, which is a completely different... Uh, setting and whatnot, just to kind of spice things up, see if you would connect with it, see if I would connect with it. So here we go. Akiru, uh, which is translated as to live, which is also a beautiful title. Yeah. To live. That's a gorgeous title. Very much so. Is a 1952 Japanese drama film directed and co-written by Akira Kurosawa and starring Takashi Shimura. The film examines the struggles of a terminally terminally ill Tokyo bureaucrat and his final quest for meaning. The screenplay was partly inspired by Leo Tolstoy's 1886 novella, The Death of Ivan Illich. Major themes of the film include learning how to live, the inefficiency of bureaucracy, and decaying family life in Japan, which have been the subject of analysis by academics and critics. The film has received widespread critical acclaim and in Japan won awards for best film at the Kanima, Kanima, Junpo, <laughs> and Mainchi Film Awards. I just slaughtered most of Japan. I'm sorry. It was remade. I just slaughtered most of Japan. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good t-shirt. <laughs> That's, no. no. It was yeah. remade as a television film in 2007, which sounds like a bad call. Who knows? But you never know. Hmm. Should should I read just a little bit of the plot? Just the setup? Think so. Like, no, I don't think so. Really? Go for it. Fine. I don't care. Do what you just, want. Just the, just the intro. Okay. Go you think. for it. Kanji Wan, Wantabe. <laughs> Watanabe. Watanabe. Yeah, that's probably better. Is a middle-aged man who has worked in the same monotonous bureaucratic position for 30 years. His wife is dead and his son and daughter-in-law who live with him seem to care mainly about Watanabe's pension and their future inheritance. At work, he sees constant bureaucratic inaction. In one case, a group of parents are seemingly endlessly endlessly referred to one department after another when they want a cesspool cleared out and replaced by a playground. After learning he has stomach cancer and less than a year to live, Watanabe attempts to come to terms with his impending death. It's fair. Oh, I started again? I think that's how we do it. I think, yeah. Yeah. So, I was thinking about this because I just wrote my notes a couple hours ago. Um, And I remember um, Mr. Regular of Regular Car Reviews fame, awesome YouTube channel, um, had to talk about this in his video on the Honda S2000. (laughs) And he talked about how potential is a really difficult thing because at the end of the day, it's totally pointless, but it's like what could have been. There are a lot of things that could have been way better with just some tweaking, like a lot of different films and stuff throughout the years. But at the end of the day, what you get is what you get. So it's kind of useless to talk about what a film could have been. And it's much more useful to just talk about what it is. Um, And so this is the lens through which I'm going to talk about Akiru. On a whole, I really enjoyed it. But as I think probably you agree with me, maybe... It's not as big of an issue for you. The film is massively bloated, I think. The runtime looking here is 143 minutes. And maybe I'm being... It's 2 hours 20. Yeah. Maybe I'm being drastic. 
I think you could probably have cut around 30 to 45 minutes for sure. Um, I Googled this to see who if, who it was. It was Don Siegel, producer of the Dirty Harry movies, um, who said that if you shake a movie, 10 minutes will fall out. But if he had seen Akiru, I think he would have upped the numbers significantly. <laughs> I'm pr- I'm sure he did see Akiru, I would just like to say. Yeah, probably. Um, it's without a doubt one of the most bloated films or piece of media at all I've ever seen. And am I like maybe I'm being unfair? It's it is true. I was thinking about this with our past reviews. Probably my most universal complaint with any album, game, film, or book is that it should have been shorter and a little bit tighter, more concise. Yeah. Um, but this really is an extreme case of that. Much more so than something like "Go Farther in Lightness" by Gang of Youths, which was just mildly bloated. Um, especially in the latter half, Akira really slows down. He spends like big chunks of time really saying and doing very little. He? Who's he? Akira. Okay. Or, it, sorry, it, I meant to have Kurosawa written there, and it's Akira. Okay. Especially in the latter half, Kurosawa really slows down and spends large chunks of time really saying and doing very little, and that's a shame, because aside from that, I think the movie is flippin' fantastic. I don't think the fidelity, and I mean visual fidelity and audio fidelity, is as good as it could have been. And we were talking about this. I don't really understand the nature of transfers from like film to digital, but this one's not great. I think Casablanca, for example, looks quite a bit better, even though it's some years older. Um, but the film's visual beauty really transcends things like clarity, and even, I would say... Um, beautiful framing although it has that the thing and i'm i'm working through understanding this because i'm still relatively new to really paying attention to films and cinematography and being mindful of that sort of thing kurosawa is a master of technically precise shooting probably more so than anybody else i could think of that said i don't think a lot of his shots appear like jaw-dropping although some of them certainly do but I think his sh- the strength of his shots are how well-balanced they are, how much visual stimulus there is, and how seamless the transitions are. Um, in some ways, I think it's almost unfair to him because I think his shooting is, like how Mark Kermode's talked about, the best edits and the best cinematography are the ones that you don't even notice. I think if you were someone, like our dad, say, someone who's not an enthusiast, you could definitely watch the movie and never notice that it was shot well. But if you pay attention, the way that edits are placed, the framing, everything is intentional. Nothing is by accident. There's always something to keep your eye. There's always some motion somewhere. Like, it's just flawless. And if you ever watch a movie like this and you're like, wow, that was so immersive, but you just can't quite place your finger on why... This is why. There's so much action in the shot. It's so dynamic without seeming overdone. It's just, yeah, I could go on and on about that forever. And I also would like to give a shout out to the fact that he doesn't use tropes. Maybe they were less so tropes in the 50s, but things today like lens flare or shaky cam or silhouettes. And I know you don't see those in older movies quite as much. But he there's some there's some silhouettes there's some gorgeous silhouettes in it actually. yeah but he doesn't lean on them no no is no, what no, I'm no. saying he yeah <laughs> he uses them for sure but it's not like a J.J. Abrams movie where it's just like uh lens flare yeah um he's way more carefully paced than that I think um and there are a lot of stones that you could throw at this movie but don't say it's not gorgeous because it's incredibly well designed um overall. I really liked the story, and that was the important thing for me. Compared to Kurosawa's samurai films we've seen where I just couldn't connect with the story, and then, you know, the shooting wasn't enough of a leg for it to stand on, so they kind of fell over for me. <laughs> um, I found it personally convicting in a way I didn't expect, um, and I think that really caught me off guard, a little like how Brothers caught me off guard, and deepened the experience for me hugely. Without getting into spoilers, there's, like, this scene where a bunch of people are vowing to, like, change their lives starting tomorrow and I'll I'll never, like, live the same way again and I'll appreciate every day, blah, blah, blah. And watching it, your heart just sinks because, like, 
you know that everybody has these moments of inspiration that don't last and don't change every anything um and it was really heartbreaking even though it's like a happy scene on the surface i thought that was fabulously done um the movie really does embody its title to live because it encapsulates this whole range of human emotion um in a really nice way in terms of Sometimes it's funny, then it turns around and it's touching, or it's just downright depressing. It it encompasses this whole range of emotions, and it never seems too silly. It never seems depressing. It's just a a segment of somebody trying to live their life better than they have before. Um, also, I found the leading man. I forget what his name is. It's up on there. What's his be... name? Takashi Shimura. Yeah. I thought his performance was stellar, and you and I discussed this beforehand. Not not overdone at all. Some of the side characters, I would argue, were not a lot, but a little bit overdone, and that took away very slightly. Do you but not... by and large, 95% of the acting, I thought, was really well done, and I didn't have the issue that I have with films like Yojimbo. Do you not think, though, that um, Takashi Shimura's character, Watanabe... Do you not think that the he was kind of the only human in the story and everybody else is kind of icons and symbols for different things? Um, You could look at it that way or you could look at it that in some ways he's the least human because everybody else is a almost depressingly realistic representation of like everybody can think of. I have pictures in my head of people right now who is like kind of a deadbeat office worker or things like that. Mm-hmm. I think they were actually incredibly human, but in a heartbreakingly boring way. Yeah, but I'm just saying uh, the central character is treated with incredible humanity yeah. that some of, the, uh, some of the other characters are not treated with because it enriches his humanity. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, I think that's basically it for my review. Like I said... It's just, it's way too long. There's not a lot that I can critique it on aside from that, but that is a major issue, Um, especially towards the latter half. It just really slows down to a point where you're just sitting there, like, wanting to check your phone because (laughs) there's not a lot going on. However, the fortunate thing about a movie like Akiru is even when it slows down, the shooting is still beautiful. So there's always something to engross you. I would say the end result for my review, I know we don't always rate them, but I like to, would be somewhere around a 7 out of 10, even though take half an hour out of it, and I think you'd be closer to a 9 out of 10. I think the length really hurt it, but it's still an absolute must-watch if you are a fan of stellar cinematography or if you like to be educated on like the roots of film, but I don't think it has to be a required stop for most film fans. Okay. I'm going to take my socks off. So I'm going to take a slightly different approach to reviewing Ikiru than you have. Um, I'm going to get the... I'm going to get one thing out of the way and then I'm going to attack the rest of it. Okay? Okay. It's too long. Yes. It's too long. Um, Lots of movies are too long. Um, I think that the effects that we felt being bored and frustrated by one scene in particular where it seems to take one group of individuals a very long time to reach an inevitable conclusion, I think that that scene is purposefully cast in that that way and purposefully paced in that way to show the futility and the frustration of bureaucracy from a completely different angle. It's a bunch of bureaucrats in a room trying to come to a spiritual epiphany. Mm-hmm. And what we see is exactly that. You know, it's it's torturous and slow and monotonous and requires a great deal of alcohol for them to reach their conclusion. Just as in the opening acts of the movie. It Which took I them, love. That's it, such a good opener. 
it took them an they just give these people the runaround and they never do anything uh so i think that that is cast purposefully very much so to mirror the opening scene Mm -hmm. i think that it it is a little boring, and I think that it is paced at a slow rhythm that I also found difficult to engage with. I will be watching this film in the future. Yeah, I will be in too. In order to see if I can slow myself and just sink into it and, and understand what's going on. Because I don't yet know if it was me or if it was the film that was slow. Uh, so with that out of the way, I did think it dragged. I did find it long. I wish it was 20 minutes shorter. Uh, I will dive into what, what has to be one of the most like incredibly human tales that I've ever seen in film. Way more so than I expected. Far more than I expected. The language barrier is real, you know, uh, uh, but the translation is fabulous. No, the translation... Well, you don't know that. But no, I mean, it's like, in terms of seeming as oh, if it was written in English. Relevant, like, yeah. it's not bland. No. You know? the But, you know, when you go into a subtitle film and you watch it, you expect there to be a sense of emotional detachment. You can't understand what the actors are saying. You yeah. can only hear how they're saying it. And in certain cultures, too... Uh, questions are asked in a different way with a different inflection or whatever. So that's uh, that's just more layers of removal. But even with that, I found Akira to be one of the most uh, human and compelling stories I've ever seen on film. And part of it is because it doesn't it doesn't roll its dice in in humor. Or in sadness, see that good reference to '68 album there. Uh, It whereas with a lot of films you would see now, particularly North American made, like a ghost story, they have the sad part and they have the funny part. Mm -hmm. You know, sad, 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 sad. Okay, people are getting too sad. Let's throw some funny in there. Kurosawa understands that that's not how life works. When you're how life works is things are funny and they're sad. Yeah. At the same time. And there's an, ama- an amazing blending of all that in this film. It kind of weaves out. And it's an immensely, despite being in black and white, such a colorful film in terms of the range of emotions that are on display. All at once, all together, laid out before you. And the amount of times you're not sure if you should chuckle or or have a heavy heart. Are, are kind of immense, mm-hmm. especially in the... It's the whole movie, basically. Especially, especially, though, in the earlier scenes, which mm-hmm. I found the first two-thirds of the film, yeah, probably the first two-thirds, to be incredibly well-paced. There's a scene... We can redact this if you think we need to. I don't think you will, because it happens near the beginning, and we know he's terminally ill. Um, there's a scene when he's at the hospital awaiting his examination... And he talks to, I guess, this other patient here. And the patient's like, hey, if they tell you that you have a mild ulcer, really you have stomach cancer. And it's even worse if they tell you you can eat whatever they want, whatever you want. And it's even worse if they tell you blah, blah, blah. And he goes through this whole list. And then uh, Watanabe repeats that whole thing with the doctor. And it's like word for word. And it's kind of funny. And it would be funny, yeah. except... He's dying, <laughs> and but the, it's so impressive that they managed to to give that weight so early on in the film. Yes, we're at that point in time. We're not really connected too much with the character. He's just been shown as a stuffy office worker, and yet when he gets this, you know, what's essentially a death sentence, the bottom of your stomach drops out, and you know that it's coming. Yeah, that's how the film's set up. You know. So it even like in the opening sequence, the narrator says he doesn't know it yet, but he's dying. Yeah, and the very the there's a uh, an on again, off again narration, which surprisingly didn't bother me at all, despite the fact that it's not consistent through the film. It kind of pops in and out, but it, I, I never went. I never went. Huh, that's jarring, or wow, no, that's annoying. Definitely, yeah. like in Legend with Tom Hardy. There's this weird 
I gotta watch that, though. Doesn't make any sense. I don't know if it's on Netflix still. It's not in the Gabber Jabber, so no, this doesn't matter. But uh, the the characters were also all really believable, mm-hmm. um, despite some of them being kind of symbols of different approaches to life. That's really what they are. They're different different modes of, of transportation through life. For there sure. is, you know, the novelist who kind of squints his eyes closed and just kind of runs forward. He indulges in drink and women and gambling. There is a, a bright and cheery young girl who uh, who decides to take control of her life now and do these things that she wants to do. And there there's his son and uh, daughter-in-law who are kind of just biding their time for their inheritance and uh, and whatnot and thinking of buying houses and that sort of thing. And all these different approaches add more color to the film. Yeah. All these different characters add more color to the film. And I was just so, so affected by that. The performances are very underplayed uh, compared to typical Kurosawa. Yeah. A lot of Kurosawa stuff drew on... Uh, Japanese like pantomime theater so it's very dramatic it's very over the top which I know we've had problems with in the past mm-hmm. just very um, loud and overwrought theatrical theatrical performances uh, but this this stays very near to the ground and uh, I think that's what allows the film to access these extreme emotions which I was really not expecting I, I had heard it um Pitched as a Japanese um, version of uh, what's it called? It's a wonderful. It's life. a wonderful life, and it's really not. <laughs> you know, not really. it's a wonderful life is a sad movie, and then it's a happy movie at the end. You know, this is all of it all together. It's far more complex emotionally than it's a wonderful life, like, which isn't bad. It's like if you took all of it's a wonderful life and stirred it together, and you you <laughs> blended it up. That's, yeah. that's a, exactly what it is. The film made me feel like my emotions were my emotions instead of feeling like they were projected onto me mm-hmm. by the film, which is a real accomplishment. I can't remember the last time that a film has really made... Maybe Locke. Locke with Tom yeah. Hardy. Oh. The anxiety and the tension that you feel in that film are your own. Yeah. And watching... I don't know why I'm pointing at that screen. Akiru's not playing on Watching Akiru, the sadness, the joy, the hope that you feel watching that film is your own. Mm-hmm. And that's such a powerful and such a rare thing that it's too bad the movie's a little bit too long. Because by the time the movie's over, I f- those feelings have kind of faded. And it took the couple days removed that we are now mm-hmm. before they kind of came back and I went, well, wait a second, what about that? What about this? There's a scene early on um, when uh, Watanabe starts up the stairs to talk to his son and his son essentially just shuts down the conversation and there is just a sudden cut to Watanabe just frozen on the stairs and then he turns around and goes back and I almost burst into tears watching yeah. it because it's just the emotion that's there you you feel it as though you are him and that I was shocked I was so taken aback by how much this movie got under my skin while I was watching it and and in the days uh, since you and I also, since the movie deals with bureaucracy and how uh, futile and um, useless <laughs> low levels of government can be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I have a bit of an understanding of how of Chinese bureaucracy yeah. from some friends who have lived in China. And, uh, and since we understood that, I feel like that added a layer of context to this film... Yeah, because you understand that it's not that much of an exaggeration. It's not, it's not that far removed, right. the way that they actually do operate. And uh, and that definitely was something that added to me, or added to me, added to the experience uh, for me. Kurosawa's camera work. It's beyond reproach. What can we say? You already waxed lyrical about it. It is completely gorgeous, and I will say this. You said how the film, the filming... In this film, <laughs> the shots, the camera work, are all understated, right? Mostly. Yeah. But here's the thing. I was thinking, because I was thinking about this, going, 
Yeah, there weren't many moments. There's one at the end. Um, On the swings. With, with the squares, which yeah. is like, take your breath away. Yeah. Unbelievable. But I'm think, I was thinking, there's not a lot of that. And then I thought back to Ron, and I thought back to Yojimbo, more Ron more so. And I thought, we know Kurosawa can do grandiose, mm-hmm. and he can do startling, and he can make a movie that looks like a moving painting. It's yeah. so gorgeous. And it just struck me. It was a whole nother wave of emotion that came over me when I realized that he toned it down for this film. Oh, hugely. He, like, hugely. He made he made this quiet beauty in his craft of, of positioning the camera that mirrors perfectly the humanity in the characters, the quiet beauty within them. Within the performances, he allows the performance to breathe on camera. He doesn't, you know, suffocate the performances with weird camera angles or tricks like that. And his his style in terms of his command of the camera is flawless for yeah, this film. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> it is perfectly suited to this film. Uh, also, I would just like to add one quick thing. I don't know if I should say this. It might be... We might have to redact this. Are you pregnant? 101. One, 101. I would just like to say, there is a huge difference between how this film handles that kind of... I was so overwhelmed by the by the beauty of that. Yeah. But, okay, we'll trim that Yeah, down. we have to. Uh, so... Hey, everybody. It's Grant and Jason back here again. We had to redact what I said. Trust me, though. If you keep your eyes and your ears and your heart open, the ending of this film, I think, is incredibly profound. Yeah. It takes too long to get there, you know, but if you hang in there, the ending of this film is a very powerful and very convicting message. Over all in all, I think that it's it's a tough film. It's it's It takes an effort to watch, but I think emotionally... And almost spiritually, it's an incredibly rewarding and very rich experience. Yeah, if you're sure. if you're into film, uh, or you're into novels, I would say Just if you're if you're a reader, man. excellent stories. I would definitely recommend Akiru. All right, I I believe that will that about does us for this episode of the Good Ship Brothership. Thank you so much for writing in, and now. If you have any thoughts, questions, complaints, reviews of your own, please do not hesitate. That's good voice crack. Please do not hesitate to email them into thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com. Or message us on Facebook. Yeah, but, you know, the email address is new. It's shiny. We'd like some people to test it out. Or if you're if you're listening in um, from somewhere, <laughs> just write in. And say, hey, this is my name. I listen from here. I don't know if it, we actually have people who listen from places. Yes, we do. Uh, we know. We know we have France. But it, I don't but, know who's in France. Hey, but I France! Love you. If you're if you're out there and you're in France, seriously, please write in because we are so curious. I, mean, I don't. I if you don't speak English but you listen to the show, well, actually, you can't understand what I'm saying. So that's that was kind of racist. Je m'appelle. Jason. The Good Ship Brothership. <laughs> Je m'appelle uh, The Good Ship Brothership. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, just write in. We would love to kind of kind of turn this show into a bit more of an open discussion with all of us. Because we know that we know our listenership is tiny. It could fit on a postage stamp. But we want you guys to get to know each other. We want, you know... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um... We'll we'll decide what we're talking about next time. One thing, okay. one thing I know that we're going to talk about: Black Flag, classic punk band. It, pretty much anybody who's anybody thinks that Black Flag is one of the best punk bands of all time. And I I just thought today, there's a looming hole in my in my you know listening, and that would be punk. Cla- classic punk, like like the real stuff, like real yeah. punk when punk was edgy. Yes. And I think that would be fantastic for us to listen to because it's completely outside of both our wheelhouses. 
but it's critically acclaimed. Okay, something yeah. by Black Flag. So we'll be listening to a Black Flag album. If you have any suggestions for that, you can reach us at thegoodshipbrothershipgmail.com or <laughs> Facebook message us at facebook.com slash thegoodshipbrothership. I believe that's what we're at. Something like that. Anyway, I'm Grant and that's Jason. Bye. And tune in next time to hear another episode of Gabber Jabber. Okay, that's enough. DJ Butler's Witchy Witcher. <laughs>